Lizarazzo, and this is Shedding Light Within Entertainment. Each episode, we'll discuss the humans behind the entertainment industry and explore the issues and topics that are impacting their lives. Carly, thank you so much for everything you do. This episode, we read a lot. I'm really proud of your blog post. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, so I mean, in it, I just talk about Essentially, I mentioned taking four seconds out of your day to put in the work to identify people the way they want to be identified. And it's a metaphor for really just accepting the fact that, yes, while it's not necessarily what you grew up learning, that this is the way life is. Everybody has their own thing. Let people live the way they want to live. And if they're happy, you should be happy for them. So that's kind of what I tried to get into in that blog post. Thanks. I appreciate that you are able to identify your own privilege and to share um, the learnings that you have of what that privilege means. That's definitely a, um, a big part of it. And something that I have, I've come to accept and appreciate and be thankful for is my privilege, but I've also come to acknowledge it and to be aware of it. So you and I have talked about it before. It's a privilege to be able to learn from the standpoint and from the position that we're learning from, right? Because at least from, especially for me, I'm a cisgendered white male. I'm learning about this from a completely outside perspective. Like this does not, this impacts my life because it impacts the lives of the people who are in my life, but does not directly impact my life. Right. So I get so to you learn need about to be it. an advocate and exactly. an ally. I get to learn about it. I don't have to learn through it, I would right. say. Right. Okay. So I was reading Gender Your Guide, and there's a section where Lee talks about champs or people that are able to just navigate gender with nobody noticing if they step in or out of line because they are just, you know, they're either the coolest kids at their school or the most athletic people. What they say is that it's most important for those people like you, Char, to advocate for others because you can navigate this world much more fluidly than somebody who's less gender conforming or trans or it is not even fully self-accepting of their own journey call each other when we misgender or use the wrong pronouns and it's been helpful because it is a learning process and i feel excited for the modern world being more representative and more inclusive so i appreciate you being on this journey with me and sharing in these first you know several episodes of shedding light with an entertainment absolutely i've really enjoyed them thank you for letting me be a part of them thanks char okay so with that um right now we are going to speak with b michael B is based in New York City and uses Zizer pronouns. I'm going to um, let Zer tell you more about themselves. Thanks. My journey has been a long one. I'm informed by many different things. And I think my like gender exploration started when I was like around like 14 or 15 years old. I was like 
I came out as a lesbian and then like soon after started playing with gender fluidity and um, was identifying as genderqueer for a while. When I was 16, I started identifying more as transmasculine and more as a trans man. And eventually um, around 18 years old, I, I started taking testosterone and I got top surgery and, and was identifying as a man for a few years. And during that time, I started uh, really getting into acting and like the musical theater industry. And that's kind of like how I established my, my career was as a man. And I lived in that for, for like a good chunk of time and really saw myself being like established in that way in the industry. And then pretty soon before quarantine last year, I decided that I was like longing to take a pivot in my gender identity for a while and was afraid to do so because of the industry, because I had already established myself as a man under a different name and different pronouns and everything. So I was, you know, obviously like a little hesitant to do that. I just kind of threw all caution to the wind. I dyed my hair and started going by different pronouns and a different name. And then soon after lockdown happened. So it kind of made um, my transition easier because there wasn't a bunch of industry stuff going on. That's kind of so. So nowadays, my identity falls in many different categories and many different pockets. And I'm less afraid of the evolution of my identity. These days, if you ask me, I identify as a non-binary femme lesbian. Thank you for sharing that. Identity is a journey. I can share from my own perspective as a child I really had a hard time identifying as Colombian and I really cherish that part of myself. It, it's connected directly to my father. And growing up, I, I never even went by Luis until about a year ago because I was embarrassed that I didn't speak Spanish well. And people called me Louise as a boy and I was very sensitive. And I've always been you know, to some degree, gender non-conforming, and whether or not I accepted that has really been also a journey for me. From that perspective, I can only imagine that your journey has been one that took a lot of strength and courage. And so I really appreciate that. You offer a lot of strength to others that are still pondering their journey as they're exploring gender and moving beyond the binary as you are growing and transforming so beautifully. What can others who maybe can't understand your journey, what can they do to just make your life easier? Is there anything you'd say to listeners who maybe are newer to moving beyond the binary? Yeah, I think I think this conversation is is always not difficult, but very nuanced and also ever evolving um, with the idea of gender itself. I really, I mean, for me personally, I think just, you know, we talk a lot about acceptance and tolerance and and like what those words mean and and like the bare minimum is, is like tolerant. I think like that would be great. <laughs> um, but I, I also think I think there's like one step beyond acceptance and tolerance, which is, which is challenging yourself and challenging your beliefs. And I think that's something we don't 
necessarily talk about a lot when it it comes to like people accepting new things into their world um whether it be like gender identity or otherwise i i think we as a people and like i'm not exempt from this you know like just because i'm trans doesn't mean that i don't need to challenge myself because there are plenty of things out there that are just like not you know things that like i was exposed to growing up as like you know like a white middle class able-bodied person like there's just so much that i i still haven't been exposed to so i think what we all need to do is um be up to the challenge and like really challenge ourselves because i truly believe that it, it's not enough to just tolerate or or accept because there still can be like a, a hidden layer of oh well I, I'm just not going to touch this anymore and like I'll use your pronouns and stuff but I'm not gonna I'm not going to try to understand deeper and I'm not saying people need to understand the like plight of a trans person like like me and and still again like while I am like a, a marginalized identity in terms of gender like I'm I'm not the most marginalized identity which is important to acknowledge what you just said reminded me of the book I just read how to talk about race because it talks about checking your privilege really understanding yourself and your own experience so that you can see the nuances and the differences in other people's experiences and how you may have had an advantage over them. Yeah, of course. And and that's really important because I think a lot of people don't seem to grasp that the art industry, like performing, theater, film and television, they're far behind. And and I, I really think most people aren't aware of that because for the first time in a really long time, we're seeing bare minimum of trans representation and LGBT, queer representation and, mm -hmm. and representation of different cultures. And, and so a lot of people have this mindset that like we're moving forward, but I, I think a lot of people outside of the industry don't see behind the scenes and don't understand that the industry is still like really, really far behind and, and pretty outdated in, in the way that they operate. And, and I think that's a really important thing to take note of and address um, is that like casting calls are still binary. There really isn't like opportunity specifically for, for non-binary people or, or people who don't adhere to the binary unless it's like tokenization, which is, you know, a huge problem. No one wants to be tokenized. Like my dream is, is to just kind of like appear in things and my identity be relevant, but not be the only reason why I'm in a space. So like acknowledge thoughtfully but uh, but not have that be the end all be. And I think in, in independent art spaces, we're moving a lot faster towards that. And when it turns in terms of like big production companies and stuff like that, like, you know, they still have a lot of work to do. And and that doesn't um, fall on us, the artists as individuals to, to change that we're doing all that we can, but but we don't have the power that producers and, and directors and casting directors, like we don't have what they have in, in terms of the inherent power that comes with their title. And so it, it's it's hard to, to, to have the attitude of like, be the change you want to see in the world because like that, that just kind of doesn't apply to those power dynamics. And you know, I'll give you an example. So I was in technology for Expedia for years. I really saw what an investment in technology could do. Since moving to entertainment, I have been really struck by the need for increased technology. And I think inclusive technology that helps to connect 
people with roles that moves beyond gender and really is just talking about art and and talking about um, human stories is going to be much more important. And I think everything was set up technology-wise, talking about people probably 20 years ago, and just really does not take into account the context of today's world. You know, I see these breakdowns, and to your point exactly, I will sometimes see can be biracial, right? Or I'll see a role that says can be male or female, but that's it, you know? And it's like, okay, that really doesn't leave room for um, the reality of today's world. Definitely hierarchically, there needs to be changes. Also, it really is a rebirth that's going to be needed because technologically, systematically, culturally, all of these issues are lying underneath. And I agree. I think there's some amazing trans performers that are really gaining notoriety and have some amazing roles and some shows, but it is not representative of the world that we live in. No. And the fact that you can, you know, count them all on one hand mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. like a, a huge problem. Like um, the fact that, I mean, like, again, like I can't, think off the top of my head like how many trans opportunities there have been like five years um outside of like you know my very small um industry within like the, the trans theater community mm -hmm. um like you can't name a lot of like trans characters that appear mm -hmm. in tv or or on film like right um but the the fact that um there's like a handful of people that that you think of when you think of like trans actors at large mm -hmm. um, is, is really telling of how far we still have to go and, and how like a lot of trans representation that we see is still very much um, on the binary of like the idea of like male to female or female, female to male, which are like, you know, if you ask a lot of trans people, those are like pretty outdated terms because like, biological mm -hmm. sex isn't even as cut and dry as mm -hmm. that um yeah, yeah I, I i think that's that in and of itself is like we have seen like you know really important um new representation but it, it's still like we can't be satisfied with that right that has to be the starting point we're obviously not satisfied with right. just that um which i know i know you know and i'm, I'm yeah sure a lot of listeners know but i i think you know just the general public don't seem as as informed about that and mm -hmm. um it also in turn kind of like turns around and and paints us the trans community as like bad people because we're not like what's gonna be enough to satisfy us is kind of the narrative and, mm -hmm. and that and that sucks because like we should just by default get the same amount of opportunities as cis actors like there shouldn't there shouldn't be like a climb to get to like a certain point where we're satisfied because like cis actors will have opportunities for all time it's not fair that like right now and, and where we currently stand in the industry like trans people are really usually only called upon to be trans people mm -hmm. and like not to be like the main protagonist or like to be like the person who like you know gets the like love interest at the end of the day like mm -hmm. like we are supporting characters that like tell a certain narrative that like has been done to death by now 
And I, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, well past time that we get new opportunities. You know, as I said before, the trans identity is acknowledged and, and loved and supported in storytelling, but it doesn't stop there. And like, that's really what I'm like hoping for. And I also think we need more stories of trans protagonists and gender and trans experiences. I, I want to see more of that too, from a storytelling memoir perspective. I don't think there's enough of that in the mainstream. I completely agree. And I mean, there's this old tired trope, trans-coded people being villains in in storytelling a lot, children's film and television, like things geared towards kids. And it really forms how we have viewed trans people. And I think a lot of people aren't, aren't aware of that because it's not like this is a trans person. It's like, this is a man dressing up as a woman and he's a villain. And, and that's scary. And this is not normal and people should not do that. Right. And, and, and like, and that is, is detrimental to the way that people view trans people and treat trans people. And I mean, that's like a whole thing that that has been talked about a lot over the past year, which I'm really, really thankful for. And I know a lot of trans people are thankful for because it's something we've known for a really long time. But to to finally be having the discussion with cis people who are are really like willing to listen is, Mm. you know, hopefully, eventually, that'll, that'll lead us past the place of of needing to continue these tired tropes for like a quick laugh or whatever. But um, it, it seems like trans people have to be on their best behavior in order to to keep being like valued. You know, like I want to be able to to screw up and, <laughs> and like anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and thankfully, like I've kind of abandoned the like industry mindset of like I have to be palatable and I I need to like adhere to cis standards as much as possible because obviously I'm dressed like a clown. That was like a huge thing that I worried about for such a long time is like and was told by a bunch of people for such a long time. I I did like a summer intensive program when I was just starting to transition and something that was like kind of drilled into me by like teachers and students at the conservatory were like. I need to be this one certain way in order for people to want to hire me, which, you know, I was like 18. That stuck with me for a really long time. And and only within the past year have I finally gotten to a place of like, people don't want to hire me when I have look like this, express myself the way that I truly want to be expressing myself and like they're missing out. And I obviously don't want to work with them anyway. But yeah, all this. <laughs> I love this. Say is that like, you know, like, we as a as a people and as a nation speaking you know pretty like um exclusively to where we are but um but like the world at large um also like it's time for us to to challenge our beliefs and like move forward because it's getting really it's getting really tired especially in a pandemic like we gotta make some moves we gotta change some stuff around that's the idea that i had when i started this company is that you know when lockdown started i felt a huge sense of freedom i started like really coming quite more gender non-conforming i was like dying i was painting my nails and dressing and drag and posting all sorts of stuff on the internet. And it was like this really liberating feeling of feeling like, okay, I'm at home. I'm not judged. I'm safe. I'm going to express myself the way that I want to. And I can't put that back in the box coming out of this, you know? And I hope that a lot of people come out of this with a little just bit more 
empathy and understanding about the human experience and what it means to evolve and cope and transform. And I'm hopeful that art coming out of a pandemic where we really all had to like face ourselves in the mirror, think about humanity and what impact just leaving our house could have on the rest of the world. You know, I think that really, it at least gave me some perspective. And I think it opens a door giving others perspectives. I spent so many years being like self, as we say, um, that um, that I, I wouldn't share these things. I was like afraid to tell people that I was trans because like um, at the time of me starting my transition, it was, you know, like 2014, um, that even earlier, um, but like my, my medical transition, um, it was 2014. It wasn't a thing that, we were talking about mm -hmm. at large. Um, I was getting all my information from like, you know, uber religious websites disguised as websites to help trans people. Oh my gosh. And yeah, there were like these resources that, you know, would tell me like, if I start testosterone, I'm gonna wake up one day and not be able to recognize myself in the mirror. And that trauma is going to lead me to like severe mental health and, and stuff like that. Um, like that, sucked um so like i mean we've come so far in such a, a short amount of time to at least like having these conversations in, in a way that doesn't start at like a, a hateful point for a lot of people which just is amazing but like yeah i was i was transitioning at a time where like this wasn't a conversation that we were having so i chose to go like more stressful way um in, in like a, a societal like social kind of way which, which is i just pretended i wasn't trans and was mm -hmm. like you know just like living my life as like a cis passing man at the time and whatever it was it was hard but it, it was easier um than being non-binary yeah, it's um so like it wasn't it wasn't a conversation a conversation that i was having with people you know i would like to work with people people didn't know that I was trans like there there was a period of time where when I was doing like regional theater theater doing regional theater as like to everyone's knowledge just like a cis guy it's only when I I like moved to Brooklyn and you know I started uh, getting called into auditions through like friends who knew that I was trans and like for instance my friend was auditioning for Taylor Max play here and they were looking for um for a trans actor and so my friend contacted me and and was like hey don't know if you're comfortable with this, but I'm, you know, coming in for this this play um, and they're looking for a trans actor. Is it okay if I, you know, send your information over? So that was my start of like starting to be like an open trans person in, in the industry. From there, kind of the only opportunities that I, I got for a really long time afterwards um, were for, for trans roles where it was just like, we need like a, a trans man. Um, and it was like stories about how hard it is to be a trans man. Or like I was like a supporting character to like a main character who is cis. And like, you know, my struggle was important, but not as important. Uh, it's only only recently that I, I've started to do work that like still concerns me as a, as a trans person, but it's not solely about like how terrible it is to be a trans person. Um, and I think now that I'm I'm at this place of, of like being really clear and like the the lack of clarity within my gender identity um is where i've i've really been able to like explore more in in art and like what i want to do and so much more comfortable with the idea of like portraying men and portraying women and 
portraying non-binary people because that um it took a while to to get there and also think it's important to say that no matter what it is i'm doing um like the idea of transness is still at the forefront of my brain no matter like what it is i'm i'm doing no matter who it is i'm playing i'm i always have the mindset of like if this character is not trans like there's something inherently trans about the way i'm going about it yeah. um so it's never like um my transness takes like a backseat in in my like artistic journey right because it's part of you it's part of your journey yeah and that's yeah. part of the empathy from creation and art right, right? Great. I, I mean, it informs so much. Transness is is such a such an incredible thing because um, it's it's literally different for everyone. And I know you can say that about about so many things. But like, um, you know, we we talk all the time. Like me and Mac and Kels talk about like there there really isn't like another person you can point to and be like person's doing the same thing as me. Trans identity. Um, and and we're discovering that more and more as a society, as a community, um, which is like super exciting because um, it like opens so many more doors to like a creative process and stuff. Because like when I was starting out acting as, as like an open trans person, but like trans man, um, I would get called into auditions and I would see like the same 10 people in the room with me. And I would look around and be like, none of us are really like doing the same thing and we're all being considered for the same role and this role is just like a trans man and that's all we're all being seen for is the fact that like all of us are on testosterone or whatever and i think nowadays we're um at least like playwrights and and more like underground independent directors are are realizing the nuance of gender and realizing how you know the difference um, that one person experiences in their gender exploration is vastly different than another person. That to their advantage when it comes to finding who's best for, for a show. It's no longer about like this person is more trans than this person. How is their gender identity and exploration and journey informing how they approach this character? Which is is exciting. And I am very excited to see more of that. I see so many people doing the work, challenging themselves. And um, I really think there, I mean, there's no going back from from where we are right now. Like, no going back to a sense of normalcy. Um, we have to define, as stupid as it sounds, like we have to define a new normal. And we're really getting there. And and I really see that that happening for us. I see art transforming so vastly. Um, and it's happening right now. We're like redefining what art is and and how we convey art. And um, that's only going to, to continue to change because we have to. Like it, it's literally something we have to do right now for, for survival. And, and, you know, on the day when we're all vaccinated and, and we can like go out into the world again, like I truly believe that art and industry will be changed for the better. Um, because of people like us who who believe in in the goodness of the world and believe in the goodness of people and just want to see everyone succeed and flourish. I cannot think of a better place to leave this conversation off. Thank you so much. Now let's speak with Mac Brown. 
came to Variato Talent, ooh, the wonderful Tess Talent. Um, I was act- I was listening to her episode of Shedding Light recently, and it was just such a wonderful reminder of like what I believe in and the values that I feel like the three of us share. Um, and I think that my specific, I'm an actor and I'm a director, and my specific, um, I don't know, uh, obstacle in this industry, I guess, is that I, but I think it's a benefit, is that I am really horizontal and I really have built my work and my life. And even my training at school was very much about like, look to your left, look to your right um, and find the people around you who you want to work with and build with and grow with. But where I'm lacking is that vertical. I have a really, really hard time um, networking upwards, move, like moving through the industry part of things is not the way that my brain works. Um, I know that there's authenticity in it, but um, I have trouble finding that authenticity. So something that I so appreciated when I when I found you and Tessa sent you Kelsey's way and Kelsey sent you my way. And um, and it's also something I found in Tessa as well is like, okay, these are people who are with it, who are, who are with it in the industry, who have this piece of and this muscle that I'm lacking, but share with me so deeply and so clearly that horizontal connection, that horizontal hope, the the belief in creating strong relationships. And that's what's going to get us anywhere. And it might be slower. It might be a slower, more like, I don't know, arduous process, but it's worth it because what, what I feel like we share is that we want to make things that are like aligned with our integrity and our belief. Um, yeah. So that's how I'm here. Uh, thank you. When it comes to horizontal, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing to help those, to help lift those up as well. And Perfect. to, you know, um, shed some light on those that are even younger or less privileged than us. Yeah, for sure. So a big part of my beliefs, I'm pretty, my beliefs come into a, a room with me and, and I don't think that that's ever um, a hindrance to my work. I think it really enriches it. I, I, I think along with this horizontal connection, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in welcoming a whole human into the room. So I come into the room as a whole human and I believe in um, a lot of things I've, you know, I was already in a place where I was being kind of radicalized um, prior to the last year, but the last year is really like honed in and clarified um, what I believe in and what I believe is important for me to do, what I believe is important for all of us to do. So something that I really spend a lot of my time engaging in is mutual aid. And um, I, every week, gather with what's called an affinity group, which is really just a group of friends who share values um, and kind of who like really have your back in, in a deep way, who have my back in a deep way. And I feel so grateful and so lucky to have these people but we're all folks who like align on how we how we believe you know what the world that we're dreaming we can create together um a world that's built through abolition a world that's built through community care a world that 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 can exist if we if we are brave enough to build it and something that we've been focusing our efforts on a lot is mutual aid is looking for um, and mutual aid, if if that's something that's unfamiliar to you, because uh, within the year it was unfamiliar to me, um, it's basically a model on solidarity, not charity. So it, it's 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 with the understanding that we are um, there's enough, there's more than enough for everyone, and we can balance it out. And it's not about giving to those who are less fortunate in that really classic charity model and that really classic philanthropic model that will always position the giver as somebody in power. Um, This is, it's mutual. It's like, I will benefit if my community 
is stronger if people we will all benefit if if the people around us have what they need um and more and can live and thrive so the focus of mutual aid what i focus on is um specifically directing support resources finances to um folks who are targeted or marginalized by our world and our country so that's um uh incarcerated folks black folks trans folks disabled folks anybody living at the many intersections of all of those things um and that is how I've been spending a lot of my time recently. Um, and it's something that I really feel passionately about is that I'm really interested in dismantling. This is something in our industry too, like with this with this like vertical horizontal thing, it's like mutual aid aligns in, in a world where we work horizontally, where we build strong relationships, where everybody has enough, everybody has what they need. And I think that I hope and it's linked with white supremacist values. It's linked with capitalist values. It's it's really all intertwined in something that I think that we can slowly and deliberately pull apart um, the more that we focus our attention on. So that's I agree. Yeah, I, I love that. And on our last episode, we interviewed Yvonne Sewell Ruskin, who was um, married to Mickey Ruskin, who founded Max's Kansas City and Max, Max's Kansas City and Mickey were really, especially with artists, um, interested in mutual aid. And he really tried to turn that idea of the capitalist business owner on its head by inviting in all of these people and creating a community and really a tribe. That's the word that um, Avon uses that I like. Mm. And I think that that applies to your affinity group as well. And totally. it's so important in terms of civil society. So the space between government and the people, if you can create tribes and communities, it makes us all stronger. It makes us more uh, powerful because we're united. It makes us more civic in that we're not just taking, but we're giving back and we're engaging. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I know that we've spoken about that and the kinds of folks that you're helping. And I just think that's incredible. And really within the values that brought us all together to begin with. One topic that I'd love for you to dive into is your teaching and yeah. how you engage with um, youth. Great. Perfect. So um, ever since I was very, very young, since I was about nine years old, I started going to this summer program that was in my hometown. It's called the Summer School for the Performing Arts. It's still up and running. There were 17 of us in the very beginning years ago. And now every year we see about 300 kids. We have like 30 staff. It's it's really amazing. Oh um, and we produce like fifth shows plus every year, musicals, dramatic works, Shakespeare. We have a technical theater program. Um, they're launching a film production program this year. It's really, really profound and amazing. And that has connected me to it's it raised me in a community of people. And and I work as a co-worker alongside folks who were my my staff, my director, my camp counselor, whatever, what have you at the time. But that has really branched out. My mom's a teacher. Um, and I know that I am a strong educator. And that environment of the summer school for the performing arts has kind of paved the way for I don't think that I'm meant to be in a classroom um necessarily. That that may not be like my my destiny, but I'm a I'm a very strong coach. I'm a very strong one-on-one. -on -one. And right now in the pandemic, I'm spending my time um 
coaching students. So I have a student later today. These are students that I that are from that summer school for the performing arts community, but I would obviously love to broaden it. And my favorite students and, and one of my favorite impacts of this time is that, um, and my focus is that I have queer students and I have, you know, a student who uses the same pronouns as me. And I, if I had had something like that when I was young, that would have been so profound and so life-changing. And that's not to like aggrandize myself as like, I'm changing this child. But I think that we talk a lot about, or like we, the, the, the world talks a lot about who we're keeping safe when we bring like queerness into the, into the conversation with children or Mm -hmm. queer adults into rooms with children. And there's this whole conversation about safety, but then it's like, but what about the queer kids? Like that, that's who I'm interested in keeping safe. That's who I'm interested in. So just like having this kid that I see every week who just gets it. And like, and and that keeps me safe too. Like, it's really special to work with queer, trans, non-binary students, people who get it. I feel like I'm, it's an exchange. It's also, I'm keeping them safe and we're learning in a safe environment and they're keeping me safe and they're, they're taking care of me because they understand. And, um, I have changed, you know, name, pronoun, identity in my 16 years with this program. And, you know, I have coworkers who who get it and are with it, but I also have students who are so it shouldn't be this profound. And I think that this this generation of young people is is stronger at this, but they're so flexible with it. You know, they mm-hmm. they know they have trans and queer classmates. So these these kids who I have relationships with students that are 10 plus years long, really unique, really love it. And they're so thoughtful and careful and dexterous. Um, and I feel that care reciprocated um, that I'm giving to them. So I love coaching um, trans and queer students on acting, on I'm working with now on spear work, um, for all kinds of stuff, whatever we can do on the Zoom platform, uh, we make it happen. And I obviously love in real life coaching is my bread and butter. But yeah, that's great. I named the company Variato because I wanted a variety and a diversity of folks and talents and you have so many. So let's chat about some of those. Yeah, something that I've been just coming to right now. So I'm an actor and I'm a director. Um, And in the past couple of years, um, directing has taken a, a front seat in that. And I think that that's that's twofold. One, I really am a strong director. I have a strong point of view. I can structure a room really well. And this all comes through my um, experience with education, for sure. I don't, um, I treat that similarly. Um, it's about kind of unlocking the the hidden potential, reflecting back um, to folks like what's going on, um, finding an answer, the answer, um, and moving through with a lot of pride. So that's when I'm a director, my focus and the feedback that I receive a lot is that, wow, I've never felt so much ownership over a room before. And I, I'll hear that from an actor. I'll hear that from a technician. And and I think that I'm really interested, again, in this horizontal leadership of, I know my role. I'm not um, stepping back and letting it turn into a cloudy mess. I'll hold strong. I'll hold firm and and help steer the ship. But it doesn't mean there's not 20 other people in the room with me with brilliant thoughts and ideas and and input. And I'm really interested in everybody having a shaping that um, when I direct. So the the kind of work that I want to make is along that line is things that uplift and center um, trans queer narratives. Um, I really feel passionate about work that centers lesbians I because I am one. Um, and I feel really 
um, interested in building rooms where this, again, classic horizontal model, the, the way that so many directing classes are taught or that um, even in an education sphere, like the director is at this place of power in a room. I'm interested in taking that and kind of subverting it or, or kind of shifting it away from um, the all-powerful director and the the actors and technicians at their mercy. Um, yeah. I love that. I think that yes and collaborative environment just creates so many opportunities for better art, you know, just yeah. deeper, more authentic art. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So I want to dive into this question of lesbian characters. Mm -hmm. I just watched um, I Care A Lot. Mm -hmm. And the character was a, um, a lesbian. And I thought it was noteworthy because I want to see a lesbian protagonist that is not somehow, and this came up in our conversation and other conversations recently, but do you have like, are you working on things where we can see a lesbian protagonist? What, what, you know, works or our, our projects could we help get behind? Because we would love to see that. Yeah, I, I recently um, applied for a directing fellowship through the Drama League that um, the application process, I, I actually really enjoy applying for things because it, it it's just a process of like honing in vision and, and an exercise in um, kind of presenting myself um, coherently and thoughtfully and, and asking myself those questions. So when I did that, there was um, one of the prompts was a series of plays and it the prompt was essentially like, choose one and tell me about your production of it. I don't want to hear how smart and dramaturgical you are. I want to hear about your vision. I want to hear about the atmosphere of the space, the room, the rules, the, you know, what, what we're building. So um, I found this incredible restoration play called The Bold Stroke for a Wife. And, uh, you know, I'm looking down these plays looking at what can I make trans? What can I make lesbian? What can I, what can I build? Um, and I find this restoration play and it is a story about a, originally about a man, his character's name is Colonel something, but he's just denoted as Colonel. He's courting a woman and this woman has four people essentially in charge of her dowry who he has to impress before being able to have her hand in marriage. Um, all four of these people are very different and they are stereotypes. This playwright, um, Susanna Sent Liver, I can't edit that out. Uh, but this playwright was <laughs> this playwright was um, really specifically um, anti-capitalist and really critical of similar things that I'm critical of. And all four of these um, kind of obstacles for this protagonist are stereotypes of there's like a businessman and this is written in the 1800s, but there's a super businessman. There's um like a Quaker, uh, like a really like button puritanical up, puritanical. Yeah. Somebody. And um, uh, there's like somebody who's really fetishizes, like anything that he deems as exotic um it's kind of this like like neoliberal character etc cetera, etc cetera. so um i decided that i my production would happen in henrietta hudson's which is one of the last remaining lesbian bars um and it was originally the cubby hole so it has a lot of history and i'm i'm really interested i've been reading a lot of um 
Leslie Feinberg and works about that period of time where the only the only safe place for lesbians was in a bar setting. And still there would be police raids where lesbians and just like any trans person, any queer person would be um, arrested or, or brutalized based on how many articles of clothing they were wearing based that were attached to their assigned gender. Um, so there's like a danger and a potential and a safety that all live inside of that space historically. And um, the first scene in the play takes place in a tavern. So my production of this play puts the colonel as um, a lesbian, specifically a black lesbian, specifically a stud, which is um, a masculine lesbian and masculine black lesbian. And the courting involves a series of I don't want to say code switching because that. I mean, there is code switching involved, but just a series of like navigating, a series of um, moving through these four pillars of authority, these four pillars of oppression, these these four things in a way that positions this protagonist as, as quite cunning um, and quite exciting and not the, the victim of circumstance. But mm-hmm. we see this colonel winning. We Good. see... We see this lesbian victoriously navigate through these um, things structures, that, these structures, and at the end uh, gets the girl. So that's a really exciting piece that I hope to do someday. I um, love that. That yeah. is exactly what I think would be exciting to see is turning that on its head because I think there is this archetype of, um, you know, scorned or somehow. Tragic. Yeah, tragic, disillusioned. Mm -hmm. And that does not need to be the story, especially as we come to just like a, hopefully a greater sense of all just being human coming out of this terrible Mm -hmm. pandemic and and all the loss that's happened. Uh, Wow. So what's next? What's next for you? Well, I'm still currently coaching, but something that I've been thinking about a lot that I did want to share with you at some point and now is fine is you know i i stepped away from acting for a while and i couldn't figure out why and it partially it was because i, I do love directing but i think a lot of it was about um transition and how i was being perceived and how i was being cast um and i have a resume that is for juliet my acting mm-hmm. resume and what's really um intimidating for me right now is I recently started testosterone and I'm just like in this, like I'm kind of in like a medical and physical and spiritual transformation, which is really exciting for me. Awesome. I did um, not know that. That's thank great. You. It was, you. it's only a month old. So it's, oh, that's really exciting. Thank you. So it's been like, like a loom. I'm getting this itch to perform um, and this itch to act again, because I know that's a strength of mine. It's what I went to school for. And I, and I think that I was shying away from it for so long because there were no roles for that aligned with me. Or like when I would get cast, it's like, yay, I'm Juliet, but it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. And recently I read this play Hurricane Diane, which was produced at New York Theater Workshop in like 2017. And the it's basically the Bacchae, but it is centered around a like a non-binary butch lesbian on testosterone. It starred this person named Becca Blackwell, who's a New York actor who is um on testosterone, is non-binary. They're like incredible. And I there was like a reading 
of the New York Theater Workshop read-through of it. And I was watching it and I was getting choked up. And when I was reading it and reading the character description, I was getting choked up because I was like, oh my God, like this is my role. And I've only ever played like two roles in my life that have ever felt like, yeah, I'm doing me and this is really truthful and authentic and joyful for me. And I feel perceived correctly. And um, those were roles that I had to you know, one is the MC in Cabaret and the other is Toby Belch in a production of Twelfth Night. And those were roles that I had to like, I got the opportunity to put myself really into, but I'm really interested in playing roles that are written for people like me and that I don't have to work so hard to fit into this thing that doesn't fit me. Um, I'm really I know that I have like a lot of power and a lot of thought and point of view and creativity and and wonderful things to bring. Um, I just need to meet with pieces, with teams, with projects that align with that. So again, another thing that's, it's hard to find. You got to parse it out. That's why I'm here with you and why I found Tessa. And um, it's, it's slow. It's a lot harder than just walking out with my Juliet resume and hair down all the way to here. Like I used to have and, um, but it's definitely, I'm hopeful, especially for the time after this pandemic, about the amount of people who are like writing and thinking and reworking and restructuring right now, like we all are. Um, I'm hopeful that that there's more space. Um, and I'm, you know, able-bodied, thin, white, pretty digestible to the, to the mainstream. So I'm hoping there's space for folk beyond um, my identity who sit at more marginalizations and more intersections. But um, that's what I'm... That's what I'm hopeful for. And that makes me excited to act again. Yay. Again, we're going to speak with Kelsey Godfrey. My free or Kels Godfrey. I haven't decided if I'm, but for now, everyone can use them. I'm a non-binary person. I'm, so I, I'm an actor. I'm a, a fiber artist. And I'm also a, um, I came to work with Variado. Um, through Earth Angel Tessa Fay. <laughs> um, I was just listening to the episode about um, how you met Tessa, and it's just so appropriate. Yeah, so she's a matchmaker for Cream, and I'm, I've been um, working with her now. Um, ever since I started with her, it's less about like I need help auditioning or I need help. Uh, uh, with the actual like process of acting or creativity. And it was more of like, how do we get, um, at that point in life, I was identifying differently. I wasn't out as a trans or non-binary person. Um, so I think that the universe was waiting <laughs> um, until I kind of like got my shit together and like uh, had the opportunity to come out and um be with myself uh and at that point i i wasn't even doing fiber art yet um i was just trying to true blue act pretty much all the time as well as um do theater education so um yeah she she put your name out there she's you that kind of put us together i met with you uh, this was before charlie was here too mm -hmm. like, pre charlie yeah this is pre charlie PC. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, from, you know, from the moment we started talking, I told you in that um, initial meeting, like, I feel very seen by you, which is something that I hadn't ever before with um, 
with management or agents and things like that. I've had like, I had an agent when I was in college, Oklahoma, and then I had an agent also in Chicago. And I talked to them like a total of one time per, <laughs> saw them one time per, was sent on like three auditions by them. Um, and I was really unsatisfied. So um, I was happy to hear from somebody for the first time, like, I want you to feel that you are, you know, going into this authentically, doing things that you care about. And if you do not want to do this project, do not have to submit you and you don't have to do it, even if I think you're good for it or... Um, or if you don't like the language in the casting breakdown or you think about this that you don't jive with. Um, so from the beginning, I was like, this is somebody that I can grow with. I can grow my career with and feel like really held by, which has been something that I've been looking for, you know, especially as came out, um, but especially since I'm New York. So that's how we came to be. What are you excited about in terms of making art? What kinds of projects are you looking at and thinking about? How are you feeling creatively as, you know, we start to look at a recovery? I'm excited about making nuanced trans art. I think right now, um, I think right now theater, which is what I'm primarily trained in, usually um, like pre-pandemic, pre um coming out as trans I did a lot of Shakespeare so I'm like classical theater um you know big vessel on stage can you know um very large productions like I really love um to perform Brecht shows um things like that things that are like political and like that was the motorcycle um <laughs> thing <laughs> um so I enjoy doing things that are political, things that can be um, done again and again, but transformed. But um, post-pandemic, or as we're working into, I want to be a part of things that are so contemporary and so modern and so um, so expressive of how we're living today um, in a way that may not be super palatable to a bunch of people on TV right now, but some of them are just like palatable. So who are who are they for? Are they for your trans audience or are they for cis audience? Like who's trans art for? And I kind of wanna, I wanna push that. I wanna push that. Um, I, I wanna see what we can do and how we can create the nuance of queer art. I love that. I think is gender always the story or is it part of the story and how can trans folks be the protagonists and the agents in their own stories yeah that that is a really great great question so i think i think the first thing is that you need more trans people in the room you need more trans writers um you need not you louise the <laughs> world the world needs trans writers um, the needs um, trans dramaturgs, they need um, trans fight choreographers, and they need Missy directors and trans actors <laughs> to play the parts. Um, so I think when that happens, then we start to see um, stories that are authentically trans <laughs> mm -hmm. because then suddenly it doesn't become about see me see me see me 
understand how I'm trans, look at me take my estrogen shot or look at me take my testosterone shot on camera, which at this point is incredible to see that. Um, but also like, this is not new. Like we have always existed and always will exist. So um, although I do celebrate that that's where we are right now, we don't need to be, hopefully in the future, we won't have to make trans stories about the fact and only about the fact that we are trans or that we are queer um, or that we are gay. Um, actually, even though it's a reality TV show, Drag Race is a very good example because now we have a spectrum of Drag Race, right? We have United States, we have and we have UK. And I see when I'm watching Drag Race, I see a show that's come really far in terms of transphobia. Um, and I also see a show that still does not involve drag kings in any way. Mm -hmm. um, even even last week, they had a, like a, a butch realness on, I think it was UK Drag Race. And, and all of us in my house um, were like, why don't you just put drag kings on drag race <laughs> yeah. and you know now there is a trans man um uh Godmick, who is on um the united states drag race and you know he's absolutely killing it and and he has such like a a uh editing eye because inherently trans people to be on par and that's in um quotation marks on par with the rest of um, the competition is like in reality TV shows and in life, we have to like rise above. We have to be like the best at the thing that we do to be noticed. Mm -hmm. um, and that should not, that, that should not be the case. Although um, I love to see trans excellence. I enjoy it, but need to all be playing on equal um, field and not to get, I'm gonna like star this because it's a political. <laughs> Go ahead, that's okay. Uh, thing, but um, we also have to uh, think about this industry as something that is anti-capitalist for us to be able to tell trans stories authentically. Because it's not necessarily about the money; it's about the story, is yes. what you're saying. Okay. Yes. I don't think that I think that okay is is inherently political, but I don't think that that's controversial. I think that that is inherent in the system that's been created, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think it is. I think that we do need to see trans folks in all of their states, um, whether that be trans excellence like Gottmik. I'm obsessed with Gottmik. So talented, and I think you're right because of life journey that they've had of transforming and and also just showing their true self to the world they've become uh literally like i what i would think of as like oh my god what is the word it is it's the word for when somebody does something like just perfectly and they like do it oh, i really want to include this word it's a French word for when somebody is really good at something. Um, oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A savant. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh -huh. Savant. I think that Gottmik is an example of a savant in the way that they are able to express themselves with gender. 
And that is so visible on the show because it hasn't been shown like that before, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's been shown from the other perspective a lot. And you're right, there is a lot in terms of inclusion and diversity that's still left to be done in terms of a show that plays with gender and that allows gender to be a process. Where are the drag kings? Where are those that were assigned different from their assigned who are still discovering their gender. And mm-hmm. I think Gottmik is a great example. Okay. Whew, that Sorry, we're probably going to have to trim some of that because I went off on a tangent. But... Oh, it's all good. You know I, lo- you know I love that edit. That edit. <laughs> um, so I want to thank you. You introduced me to the Pocket Change Collective, mm-hmm. um, which I have shared on social. I'm going to recommend to everybody listening to this podcast, Beyond the Gender Binary, I also read A Quick and Easy Guide to They, Them Pronouns, which I love. I think it's so funny by Archie um, Bongiovanni and Tristan Jimerson. And then I'm also reading another book um, by Lee Ayrton, um, Gender, Your Guide. It's by a non-binary trans author. And it's really talks about how to think about just gender as a process. There's some really amazing anecdotes and very, very personal stories in there. So, and then you, Kels, recommended Query, which I loved oh, with Cameron good. Esposito. Is there anything else you would recommend to um, folks listening to this that maybe are not as familiar with the singular they or not as familiar with gender as a journey? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, all of those books, Query, Excellent. It's like such a good way to hear non-gendered language. I think, you know, it's it's so great you asked this question. I just finished a fantasy book called Black Sun. Just adding, Kels, that that book is by Rebecca Rowanhorse. And it was the first time that I had seen Z-Zier pronouns ever in literature. Um, that That's not to say that there isn't any that I don't know about. But for the first time in like genre, I saw Z-Zier pronouns, which um, are beloved uses. And I couldn't believe it. And um, the reason that I, I'm talking about this instead of like a guidebook or a podcast is because the way that these pronouns are in these identities were expressed were in that way of like, this is part of the story and part of the narrative, but this is not what this is about. Like, we're not diving deep into like how this person came to these pronouns, but they just have them. Well, Z just has them. And we're just accepting that and like moving on with the narrative of the story. Um, So I would suggest like looking for books like that, that um, just include these identities um, so that you can get used using these pronouns. Um, Something that is so silly that I've heard before is like name one of your stuffed animals in your room um, and have them use they them pronouns and talk to that stuffed animal and like use its pronouns. Um, I love that idea. Yeah, it's so it's so silly, and I want to make it clear. Like I know that that trans and non-binary people are not objects or stuffed animals, but like if you genuinely like want to learn and practice like deconstructing like somebody's 
identity to, from like what you think they are, like you on an object in your room is really good. Um, when I first met B and B is using ZZR pronouns, um, use ZZR pronouns on my beloved plant Lionel because I'm like, I need to, I need to get this right. Like, and I need to figure out how to use these. Um, so those are my suggestions. I love that. I, I think, think that's great. Childhood behavior, which I think more people can just do. And like, yeah, you're a grown up, but need to rethink about these ideas as if you were a child learning it for the first time. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's what's really important. Um, I think using the pronouns um, is step one, like using somebody else's pronouns is step one to this process because you can use somebody's pronouns and like not actually see them for who they are. Mm -hmm. But then the second part is to like deconstruct a kind of narrative or identity that you are like, like putting on this person. Imposing. And, yeah, imposing on this person. Deconstruct the narrative and the identity that you are imposing onto this person and see them for who they are and see their pronouns as a byproduct to that rather than a hundred percent and that what we're seeing in the entertainment industry of we need the narrative like like that is what people crave um right now is people want and like need this narrative of um trans and queer suffering and it's none of our business. Um, if they want to share that, that's great. But it's not your business until they make it your business and without um, having been pushed or coerced or anything. Right. Yeah. I'm hopeful that by having these conversations and by shedding light on this topic, that we will see a more empathetic forms of art that mm -hmm. really understand that the human process and the human, you know, the human condition is a gift and we are all exploring and learning it for ourselves. And as we grow, you know, hopefully we can learn to be more accepting and, you know, tolerance is one, is one, important step but i think acceptance is really what we need it's just accepting people for who they are and that they are not the same and that we are all bring such important beautiful gifts to the world yeah i definitely yeah i am so proud of your fiber work i have as you can see i have some back here mm -hmm. um we're going to share all of kelsey's um social handles and um, B and Max social handles, please follow them, their art and their advocacy and their lives are just so beautiful in the way that they share them. So I encourage you to follow all of them. Um, I also had the um, great fortune to um, see and hear you. Um, in an audio production, you are featured on a number of podcasts. Please get in touch to learn how to work with Kels or B or Mac. We are so proud of, um, of everything that um, you all do. And I want to just make sure that people understand that you are a hardworking, talented performer 
um, that is values minded. Um, but we sometimes will push, you know, we will push um, breakdowns and say, you know what, I think hell should go in for this, even though it may not have the most inclusive language. And we've, you know, we're gonna continue to push and to um, advocate. And I just appreciate you so much. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you so much. It's nice to have this this uh, this bridge into uh, casting websites, <laughs> <laughs> so that I don't have to get frustrated. And you know, yeah, um, I I get frustrated on your behalf and then translate it. But we are gonna <laughs> this. We're it's gonna be you know. I think with technology and time and just a little bit more um, um, effort by humans to be more accepting, more inclusive, uh, to see the diversity and the beauty. And I am whole that this conversation will be the beginning for a lot of people toward more inclusivity. I hope so too. And I hope that it's not intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Or if no. it is intimidating, take it on. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've out. never really been that afraid of being intimidating, but I guess I don't want anyone to be too intimidated to not take this on. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's fair. Thank you so much to our three guests, B. Michael, Mac Brown, and Kels Godfrey. We're so thrilled that we were able to share these conversations with you and hope that they helped to shed a little bit of light into the triumphs and struggles of being a non-binary performer in today's world. We look forward to sharing more stories with you on the next episode of Shedding Light Within Entertainment. From Variado Talent, I'm Luis Lazarazo. See you next time.